Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon Podcast. Be sure to keep watching immediately after the sermon for Postscript, a weekly podcast with in-depth content and answers to your questions submitted during the sermon. You can also find it on iTunes or at faithbridge.org slash postscript. I'm Tiffany Spears, and this is my husband, Mike Spears, and we've been going to FaithBridge for six years. Had kids, were you know, just learning the new area and learning how to be new parents and, and really going through what you go through as a young parent. I just feel like we got more connected when we went to FaithBridge and we grew together more. And we've done even Bible studies outside of Bible study, you know, like Brad and myself and, and several of us in our group. We went through and did a study together and I could just see light bulbs clicking on, clicking on. And so I just started seeing him making his faith real in a real way that he could use it to, to help others. And you know, we went on for, I mean, it was a good year at least that we would do this kind of a study and it learned a lot. But I've seen him really take off um, and deepen his relationship with Jesus. I see him interacting with his employees, with his customers, with the people around him in a more intentional manner than he used to. Christians were taught to love one another and giving is a very strong show of love. With tithing, I'd learned, at that point, I'd started doing it, and I'd, I'd received advice, you know, Brad had helped a lot. And the way, the way that, especially our family earns a living, really, we don't know what's coming. So there's been times where it's like, ugh, I don't know if this is gonna work. It was around October 15th. We had had a, a, an extension on a tax turn that year. We have a number of different charities that we support, and we try to, um, give them according to what they need at the time. I had all the windows pulled up on my computer where you know we could do the donating and all that and I'm calculating it out and, and right before I did I thought man let me see if my tax return's done. Well it wasn't done. I thought man we might need this money. I don't know. And So I kind of minimized these windows out and uh, kind of got distracted and a couple hours later I, I just thought you know something came over me and I realized wait a minute it doesn't really matter what I owe for last year. You know, this is God's money and so Pulled those windows up, boom, 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 boom. You know, did my tithing and all that. And a few hours later, the tax turn finally comes in. So I called the accountant and he looked at it and said, Mike, I think you're all right. Matter of fact, uh, you're getting a refund. Like, a refund? And the refund was actually slightly higher than what I had just tithed that afternoon. And you want to talk about a message. God was like, I told you. You know, the scripture says that, you know, you give and you fill his storehouses full and you'll have more than you know what to do with. And we didn't ask God to fix the tax turn for us. It's not what we asked. We did it for the right reasons. We, we believed. It was, it was literally like God looked at me and said, I told you, Mike, you know, don't doubt. And, and we didn't. Uh, we won't ever doubt again, that's for sure. That's a good word, isn't it? Thank you, uh, Mike and Tiffany Spears, for uh, sharing that word. Let me say welcome. Uh, if you are in Centercourt East or Centercourt West on the Klein campus, we're glad that you're here today. If you're um, in the Woodlands campus, welcome at the Woodlands campus. If you're watching somewhere near or far, we're glad that you're here online. Uh, so while we're in the mindset of generosity or giving for just a moment, though we're going to move to the series on prayer momentarily, and I'm going to introduce uh, Michael Sully Sullivan, our uh, uh, preacher of the day. But I just want to spend a couple of minutes and give you a little financial update because we realized the other day in a planning meeting, we haven't talked about this for the past five or so months. So let me give you just sort of a, a quick update of, of uh, where we've been, where we are, and where we're praying that we will be. Where we've been, uh, about this time last year, we were trekking right along, right in the middle of the all-in campaign, moving right on schedule, and everything was going great. It was right about this time of year we started wondering, 
uh, is the oil economy maybe affecting us? By the middle of the summer, we said the oil economy is affecting us. And by the fall, we were in cut, 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 tighten the belt, tighten the belt, tighten the belt mode. Of course, uh, in a uh, vibrant church, like in businesses, I mean, I'm not telling you anything. You don't know you run businesses and you're in businesses. The last thing you want to do is cut staff and cut the quality of, of programming that you're offering. So we're looking everywhere that we can without having to lay off staff or eliminate uh, mission sorts of things. Um, the vibrant student ministry, kids ministry, you don't want to touch that, leave that as best we can, cut, 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 however we could. Adjusting expectations that for the first time in 17 years, we would not hit our budget, and we did not, at uh, December 31st, the end of the year. First time in our whole history. But neither did most of you. So we, you we're kind of all in this together, right? Because we depend on, on what you do. That's how it all works. So as we went into this year, we had a way adjusted budget. Tight, 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 lean, lean, lean. Let's just get through 2016 as best we can, just like you're doing uh, yourselves. So let me give you a first quarter update because we, uh, we just came through the first quarter. And um, so look at the graph here. You see this baseline, that represents what we need to stay on the new revised 2016 budget that was way down from the 2015. That's everything that you see ever happen. That's all. That's a million dollars uh, that are going outside the walls of the church for all the missions that we do. That's our July 4th, the VBSs, the kids ministry, the student ministry, the facilities that we're in, uh, the debt that we took on for the kids ministry building since we fell way short on that. Um, that's everything, okay? That's the baseline. First quarter, here's how it went. Uh, the 13 Sundays, you know that. There's 13 weeks in the quarter. So Sunday to Sunday, some Sundays. It's just like, you know, in your world, some weeks are really good weeks, and some weeks are not so good weeks. And But we got to the end of the first quarter, added it all up, and discovered we were $4,000 in the black, yeah, so praise the Lord. Hey, we're not blowing the doors off, but we're in the black, not in the red uh, this year. And so that's a good thing. Praise the Lord for that. So that's where we are, where we want to go, um, and where we're praying that we'll go. The, put the graph back up one more time, and let me just uh, close it out here. Obviously, our prayer is that in the second quarter and third quarter and fourth quarter, Lord willing, the, those bullet points, those graph points can rise every week to the baseline and even beyond because, remember, we're operating on a lot less than we were. That will enable us to do more missions than what we're doing uh, abroad and at Bridging for Tomorrow. We're going to tell you about seven churches that we're starting this summer. Not today, but you're going to hear about that in the next several weeks. Um, we want to continue to, to move forward in our student ministry, our kids' ministry, everything that happens. And so the more that we can rise above that uh, baseline, the, the better. So um, as quick as we can, as slow as we must, we will move forward. Let me just say thank you for your generosity. Uh, we realize that you, like the spears on that video, you are giving in faith. All of us are giving in faith. And uh, if you haven't stepped into generosity and giving, I'm, I'm going to challenge you. If this is your church, or at least you come here enough that you say, well, that's kind of my church, but you haven't, we need your help. And we're going to ask you to step in like the others and, and give as the Lord blesses you. You be a blessing and pass that forward as well so that we can continue to make more and stronger disciples who make more and stronger disciples. For Jesus' sake. Okay, so that's the little update. First quarter. So now we're going to change subjects. We're going to go back into where I left off last week. That was the prayer series, part two. Uh, I asked Sully to come and preach to us, and he has a good word for us. Let's welcome him as he comes now to preach. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Well, let me just start by piggybacking what Ken just said and say thank you. Uh, thank you for being a church that is generous. Uh, I think the thing that I love the most about my role at Faith Bridge is I get to see that every single week. 
Uh, and not only do I get to see that, I get to see the way that we are advancing the kingdom through your generosity, both here locally at our church and in our community uh, and around the world. So thank you for letting me be a part of that, and let's just continue it. Uh, as Ken said, this morning we're going to continue our prayer life series. He kicked it off for us last week, and he answered the question, what is prayer? Uh, and he told us that prayer is simply a conversation with God. And when we enter into that conversation, we keep a couple of things in mind. First, uh, that we come authentic. Uh, we're open and honest before God. Second, God welcomes us to be persistent, to keep coming back and ask time and time again uh, in prayer requests. And then third, he asks us to come trustingly, trusting that God is our Father. And so that was what is prayer. And this morning, we're going to continue and answer the question, why pray? Why should we spend time praying? Uh, let's go ahead and just pray and ask God to come and teach us this morning as we get going. Well, God, I'm just thankful to get to come, to come before you, Father, and worship you, uh, to just come and sit in your house and learn from you. Uh, God, I pray today that your Holy Spirit would just speak through me, like in Acts chapter 2, where each person heard in their own language. God, I pray that you would speak to each individual person today, uh, that this message would just be tailor-made for them. And God, I know that I can't do that, and so I'm asking for your help this morning. Uh, God, I pray that as we look at Jesus and the example he left for us in prayer, uh, God, that it would change us and transform our hearts and transform our prayer lives. And we just ask all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, a few weeks ago, on March 27th, my wife Jill and I celebrated our six-month wedding anniversary. Yes. We have made it half of a year, exciting times in the Sullivan household. Uh, it's been an experience like you would expect, full of learning and full of growing. Uh, and I'm learning one thing in particular, and that is that there are some things that my wife is excited about that I don't quite understand. Uh, and at the top of that list is most certainly throw pillows. Yes. I do not understand throw pillows. They make zero sense to me. Why would you have pillows on a bed that you're going to get into at night? And to get in that bed, you have to take the pillows off, put them on the floor. And then in the morning, you wake up and you put them right back on the bed. And they sit there all day long while I'm at work. I don't lean up against them. I don't get to enjoy I don't even look at them. I'm not there. Why throw pillows? I don't understand it. And I know all the men in the room right now, I would ask for an amen, but I don't want to get you in trouble. I'm going to bite the bullet on this one, but I can feel it. I don't understand throw pillows. But there are a few things that I do understand. First, that when it comes to decorating our house, my wife is the expert. And I mean that quite literally. She uh, went to Texas Tech and got a degree in interior design. And so she is literally an expert. Uh, and in fact, I want to prove it to you this morning. You may think, I don't know, Sully, we can't trust you, but you can. Uh, this is a picture of my bed when I was a single man. Take a look at this. <laughs> there it is. Simple, easy, efficient, no throw pillows. And then take a look. This is our bed right now as it stands today. Oh, wow. Wow. She's an expert. And the women are like, amen, Jill, you just blessed that man. Way to go. Yes. Uh, the second thing that I understand is that I love my wife a lot, and I want to see her smile. And there is one way that is guaranteed to make her smile, and it's this. If I sneak into our bedroom while she's getting ready in the morning in the bathroom with the door shut, if I sneak in there and make up the bed with the throw pillows, she comes out, sees the bed, that makes her smile. And I'll be honest, in the first few months of our marriage, putting the throw pillows on the bed it was a duty. It was a task that I needed to perform. But as we've grown in our relationship, it's become a delight. It's something I enjoy doing because I love her and I enjoy seeing her smile. Now, why do I tell you this? It's because my guess is for many of us, when it comes to prayer, it's like putting throw pillows on a bed. 
You know, we, we know that we're supposed to do it, but we don't really understand it. And we're just kind of asking why. Why should we pray? And because of that, for many of us, my guess is that prayer feels like a duty. It's a task we need to perform. And my hope this morning is that we can spend some time looking at Jesus and move that prayer life from duty to delight. And you may be asking, well, how are we going to do that? We're going to do what I did. We're going to learn from the expert in the field. And when it comes to prayer, that expert is Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, So we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so that's what I want to do this morning uh, is just fix our eyes on him, learn from his example, and specifically answer the question, why was Jesus motivated to pray? Why did Jesus spend time praying? So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and get that out. The ushers are right here at the front. If you'll just raise your hand, you can turn to Luke chapter 22 when you get a Bible. And if you don't own a Bible this morning, that's our gift to you. Please feel free to raise your hand. Uh, you can take that home with you. Nobody's going to ask on the way out. So uh, please do that and enjoy reading it this week. But we'll be in Luke chapter 22. We're going to start in verse 39. And this is what the scripture tells us. It says that Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. And he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. In this passage, we find Jesus on the Mount of Olives with his disciples. And Jesus is keenly aware that his time on earth is coming to a close. And so he's kneeling down and he's praying and he's realizing the reason for which I came, to go to the cross, to bear the sins of the world, is closing in on me. And as that moment is closing in on him, the weight of the moment begins to push down on him. And as he's feeling that weight, he cries out to the Father and he says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. It's the first reason why Jesus was motivated to pray that we see, and it's because he had personal needs. Because he had personal needs. And of the three reasons that we'll see this morning that Jesus was motivated to pray, my guess is that many of us can relate to that. When we face things in our lives, when we come across a difficult situation, we cry out to God for help. In fact, a military chaplain once said that there are no atheists in foxholes. And what he meant by that is when our backs are against the wall, when there's a decision that needs to be made and we need direction, when we face an illness that we can't recover from or a financial problem, we cry out to God. When we have personal needs, we cry out and we ask for help. And for most of us, we don't struggle to do that. That's not an issue for us. But I would guess where we do struggle is asking, well, what do we do when God doesn't answer? Or if he does answer, what do we do if he doesn't answer the way we were hoping? I experienced this myself not long ago. It was about a month ago I traveled to Paris, France on a mission trip. I took a group of young adults with me, and we went on college campuses uh, and we were hoping to share the gospel with French college students. Before we left on the trip, in our last team meeting, I asked us to huddle up. I passed out some pieces of paper, and I said, write down a prayer request, something specific that you want to see God do on this trip. And so each of us did that, including myself, and I bundled them up and took them to France to see what is God going to do this week. Well, on my piece of paper, I wrote down a very specific request. And it was that I didn't want to get stumped by a deep theological question. You see, we were going on a math and science university, a very prestigious one with full of deep thinkers. And I knew these students may have questions, questions that I don't know the answer to. And so I was just praying, God, give me wisdom. I want to be helpful to these students, so don't let me get stumped. On the first day of our trip on Monday, we headed to the campus and not two hours into being on campus, I met a young man. I shared the gospel with him 
And what followed was question after question after question, deep theological questions that quite frankly, I didn't know how to answer, at least not in the moment. Not two hours on to being on campus, my really only prayer request, unanswered, or at least not how I was hoping it would be. The rest of that day was just a fog of me just wondering, what's going on? Did God not hear me? I was very specific. I didn't leave much to the imagination on this one. And the next morning, I still woke up, and I was frustrated, and I was angry. And so eventually, I reached out and grabbed a journal. I'm not much of a journal, but I just had to write it down. And so I wrote down this question. God, what do I do when you don't answer? God, what do I do when the outcome is different than I was expecting? A few days went by, and it went on and on. And and so we get to the end of our trip. It's our last day on campus. And I sit down at a table with a student named Lily. Lily and I begin a conversation about God. And I realized she wasn't opposed to a relationship with God. She just had a lot of questions. And in fact, in the midst of our conversation, she looked at me and she said, I can see that your relationship with God is a beautiful thing, but I'm not ready for that. And so I pressed into that answer. Why was she not ready? And she said, I just have so many questions. And at the top of that list was, what do I do when God doesn't answer? Does he not hear me? And in that moment, it dawned on me. And I reached down into my backpack, pulled out a journal, and I said, Lily, I've been following Jesus for 20 years. And I opened to the page and said, I'm asking the same question. And it was in that moment that I was able to explain to Lily that being a follower of Christ, having a relationship with God doesn't mean that we have the answer to all of life's questions, but it's knowing that he does. And that was so impactful for her to hear that, that she almost accepted Christ on the spot. And we're still praying that she would. And it's interesting, but as I've looked at this passage this week, I'm noticing that Jesus faced the same thing. He wasn't immune to this while he was on earth. In the passage we just read, it's actually the only passage in all of Scripture where we see Jesus laying out a personal need prayer request. It's the only time that he does it. And we know the end of the story. In just a few hours, the Roman soldiers are going to come. They're going to arrest Jesus. Less than 24 hours later, he's hanging on a cross. The cup wasn't taken from him. Jesus' request appears to go unanswered. And I believe there's a reason for that. I believe there's a reason that the scripture is clear to include this passage. I think it's because Jesus is trying to teach us that when we pray, prayer is not ultimately about what we want. It's about what God wants and aligning our hearts to his will because God sees the bigger picture. It's why when Jesus presented this request to his father, right after he says it, he goes on and he says, yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus knew the most important thing that could happen is him have his heart aligned to the father's will because he knew that God saw the bigger picture because the bigger picture had you and me in mind. It had our redemption in mind. Jesus' prayer being answered the way it was is the best news that you and I have ever received. It's that we get to experience redemption freely. It's what Romans 3, 23, and 24 tells us. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through redemption. Through who? Jesus Christ. Jesus took the cross. He took the cup so that we didn't have to so that we could experience redemption. In moments when our prayer requests seem to go unanswered or when they're answered in a way that's different than we've expected, we have to keep in mind that God sees the bigger picture, just like he did on the Mount of Olives and just like he did in my conversation with Lily. It's to press in and believe Romans 8, 28, which tells us that we know in all things, all things, God is working for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So should we lay down our personal needs before God? Absolutely. We see that's the first reason why Jesus was motivated to pray, when he had personal needs. 
But as we lay our personal needs down, we have to come trusting that God is good. He's our Father, and He has the bigger picture in mind for us. And so that's the first reason that Jesus was motivated to pray, when He had personal needs. If you have your Bible open, just flip over one page to Luke 23. This is going to be the moment where Jesus is hanging on the cross, and we'll see the second reason why Jesus was motivated to pray. Luke 23, verse 32, this is what the scripture says. It says, two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, to the, Jesus said Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. In this passage, we find that Jesus is on the cross. He's hanging there being crucified and tortured and about to be put to death. But in the midst of that, he looks down from the cross and he sees the Roman soldiers and the rulers, so it says in the next verse, are mocking and sneering at him. And what Jesus sees is a group of people in need, a group of people that are in desperate need of forgiveness. And this demonstrates the second reason why Jesus was motivated to pray, and it's because he saw others in need. He saw others in need. And I know what many of you are thinking right now. You're thinking, Sully, of all the passages that you could have picked to show Jesus praying for the needs of others, why did you pick this one? Why didn't you pick the one where he's maybe praying for a sick child? Or the one where he's praying with a family who's got a marital issue. Why did you pick this passage? And the reason is because there isn't one. If we look through the book of Luke, we'll find two instances where Jesus is praying for the needs of others. One is the verses we just read. And the other is back in Luke 22 when he says to Simon Peter, Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Similar to praying for our personal needs, I would be willing to bet that many of us don't struggle when it comes to pray for somebody that's in need. If a friend or a family member, maybe a coworker, calls us and says, hey, will you pray for me about this illness or a death in the family? We're more than willing to do that. We do that quite easily. But again, I think the reason that the scripture is giving us this example of Jesus praying for others is because it wants to show us something. It wants us to see that when we pray for those in need, we shouldn't just pray for the thing they're asking us for. We should pray for their faith in God and their relationship with him. Why? Why is it important to pray for their faith in God and their relationship with him? It's because whatever they're facing on this earth is temporary. But their relationship with God is eternal. It's what the Apostle Paul wrote to believers in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, when he said, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I can remember a few years ago, my grandfather was really sick, uh, so sick that they put him in the hospital and it wasn't looking good. Uh, My grandfather had had a heart attack when he was 55 years old, and so for the last 20 to 25 years of his life, he was living on essentially half of a heart. And eventually that had caught up to him, and so many of his major organs were beginning to fail. And so I can remember praying for my grandfather very specifically for miraculous healing. I didn't want him to die, and so I would pray, God, would you just heal him? Let the doctors come in tomorrow and just be blown away, wondering, how did this happen? How is he healed? How are these organs that were dead back to life? God, you're a God of life. Would you do that? And I would pray that day after day. And I remember one morning I was studying the book of Isaiah at the time, and during my personal devotion, this verse, Isaiah 55, 6, just stood out to me. It said, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. 
And I realized in that moment that the Lord was just putting on my heart to begin praying for my grandfather for an eternal reason, because he didn't know Jesus. And so I began to pray, God, would you allow my grandfather to seek you, to find you while he still can? And so I would pray that day after day. And I remember one night, uh, my family decided to go up to the hospital together and share the gospel with my grandfather. We had done this before, in fact, many times, and even in recent years. We decided to go up there just again, one last time. And so we went up to the hospital and we shared the gospel with my grandfather, the good news that Jesus came for him and that Jesus would be waiting for him on the other side. And that night, my grandfather said yes. He said yes to a relationship with Jesus. And it was something that I realized that, you know, he was healed, but it was an eternal healing. And I'm thankful that, my, that the Lord taught me to pray that way, to pray not just for his temporary need. Yes, let's pray for people to be healed. I think that's great. But to pray for his eternal need, to push beyond and say in the midst of it, to say, God, allow him to find you. Allow him to seek you. When someone's struggling with marriages, to pray, yes, God, would you heal this marriage? But in that, would you allow them to draw near to you? Would you show them your presence? That's to pray not just for the temporary need, but for the eternal. And that's the second thing that we see from Jesus, that he prayed when he saw others in need. If you still have your Bible open, flip back to the verses we read earlier in Luke 22. I want to revisit these verses because they also show us the third reason and final reason why Jesus was motivated to pray. And it's because he wanted to stay connected with his father. He wanted to stay connected with his father. Look back at verse 39. I'll remind you what it says. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. And he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed. Of all the reasons that Jesus was motivated to pray, this is the one we see time and time again. Because he wanted to stay connected to his father. In the Gospel of Luke, there's over 10 passages that deal with Jesus' personal prayer life and his teachings on prayer. And what we find is that almost half of them show Jesus withdrawing, moving away from the camp to pray, to stay connected to his Father. In fact, we saw it in the verse we just read. It said that Jesus went as usual. It was a normal thing for Jesus to go to the Mount of Olives and pray. In Luke 5, 16, he says it this way, but Jesus would often withdraw to lonely places and prayed. Luke 6, 12 tells us in these days he went out to the mountain to pray. It was almost as if he had another spot. And in Luke 11, 1, he tells us one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. The disciples knew there were certain places and certain times when Jesus would go and connect with his Father. It's clear. Scripture is telling us Jesus prioritized this. And I was thinking about my own prayer life this week. In preparation for this sermon, I just did a little self Uh, analysis. How is my prayer life? And I, I started thinking, what would it be like if the author of Luke depicted my prayer life? What would he say about me? Would he say that Sully often withdraws to these lonely places and prays? And I realized he wouldn't. He would say, Sully seldom withdraws to lonely places and prays. And my fear this morning is that I'm not alone that there might be many of us in this room who would say, Sully, I'm great when it comes to praying for my personal needs. I'm great when it comes to praying for the needs of others. But connecting with the Father, that's not on my radar. It isn't something that I do often like Jesus did. And so this week I've been asking the Father, I've just been saying, God, what would it look like to connect with you? What does it look like to withdraw to lonely places and pray? What would that even look like? And I felt like he showed me two things that I wanna share with you this morning. The first is that we need to pick a lonely place. We need to pick a lonely place. And then the second is that we need to remember it's a relationship. To remember it's a relationship. If we wanna connect with the Father, we need to be like Jesus and pick a lonely place. That's where we start. 
In Luke 5.16, where this phrase, lonely place, is coming from, the Greek word that's inserted there is eremos. And what eremos means is solitary, uninhabited, uh, away from the noise, free from others. And Luke is trying to paint a picture for us that when Jesus wanted to connect with the Father, he went somewhere that was away from the noise, free of distraction, private, just him and the Father connecting. And if we're going to do that, we need to do the same. We need to start by identifying that place in our lives. And so let me ask you this morning, do you have a lonely place? Is there somewhere in your life where you can get away from the noise, get away from your to-do list, from the busyness of life, and connect with the Father? Where is that place? Once you identify that place, the second thing we need to remember is that it's a relationship. We have a relationship with God. Before Jill and I got married, uh, we did premarital counseling with Wayne and Tammy Risher. Wayne is our campus pastor in the Woodlands and his wife, Tammy. Uh, And something we agreed to after doing premarital counseling is that we, we thought that was helpful and it was extremely beneficial, but we wanted to keep meeting. Maybe every six months, circle up and kind of have a debrief and just talk about what's going good in marriage, what's going bad, what things are unexpected, you know, this kind of conversation. And so I mentioned that we celebrated six months a few weeks ago, and so we met with Wayne and Tammy, and we started diagramming on the whiteboard different things. And one of the things that I learned is that my wife desires to be connected to me a lot. And so I'm trying to figure out, what does that look like? And so I was asking, well, in what ways do you feel most connected? And she said, well, I feel most connected when I know your schedule. And so I walked away from the meeting and I started kind of processing, okay, how can I do that better? Uh, And I thought, oh, I got it. We have a whiteboard on our fridge. I'll just go in the morning, write down my schedule for the day, bada bing, bada boom, she knows my schedule. It's perfect. And so later that night, she came home, and I was excited to tell her this really logical uh, plan. And I said, hey, babe, I'm going to put my schedule on the whiteboard so you'll always know where I'm going to be. And let me just say, the the plan never made it to the whiteboard. (laughs) And you're chuckling, so you must know what I didn't know at the time. And that's that Jill wants to be connected to me. She doesn't just want to know my schedule, who I have lunch with that day. She wants to know about the meetings that I have. What's my role in the meetings? Am I nervous about the meetings? Am I excited? What things am I excited about for the day? What things am I dreading heading into the day? That's what she wants to know. Things that are personal to me, not just a couple of points on a schedule. And the same is true with God. God wants to connect with us more than us just telling him our needs and the needs of others. Though that's important. But more than anything, he wants to know our hearts. He wants to know our lives. That's why Jesus, so many times, he taught us to pray our Father so that we can remember we have a relationship with him. It's not a business deal. It's not a transaction. It's a relationship. And part of having a relationship with someone is that you share your heart with them. You go deeper with them. You let them behind the curtain and you say, this is my life. You're open and you're honest. You share your heart with that person. One final thought as we close this morning. And it's that because we have a relationship with God, we have to know that learning how to connect is going to take time. It's going to take time. Believe it or not, since learning that Jill wants to connect with me, I have not become an expert. There are weeks when she just says, hey, we're not connecting. Can we fix that? And so I'm learning what ways to do that. I'm learning that if I cook a home-cooked meal, surprise her when she gets off work and and just clear out our schedule with a, a meal and nothing to do but just talk and exchange, that works. And the same is gonna be true of your relationship with God. You're gonna figure out ways that work to connect with them, ways that allow you to draw deeper and engage deeper with him. And at first, it's going to be a learning curve. It might not feel natural. There may be things that kind of cause you to hesitate. But can I tell you that as we engage deeper, as we press into the Father, as we open up our hearts and we share with Him, our relationship with Him is going to flourish. 
And it's in the flourishing and that relationship growing deeper that we move from prayer being a duty to a delight. Let's pray this morning. I just want to take these next couple of moments to pray with y'all, and I'm just going to lead you uh, in prayer as we go to the Father. And so, Father, I just ask that you would use these next couple of minutes for each of us to connect with you. God, I know there's a lot of people in this room with a lot of different stories. And God, you know each individual story. And I just want to invite you this morning, maybe as I was talking, you were realizing I've got a personal need. It's one that's been coming to my mind this morning, something that's happening in your life right now. And I just want to invite you to lay that down to the Father And then as you're doing that, to ask him, God, would you let me trust you with this plan? God, that I see the bigger picture, or that you see the bigger picture, God, and I just want to submit to that. Why don't you spend a few minutes doing that now? Others of you in the room this morning, as I was talking about praying for the needs of others, the Lord just put somebody specific on your heart. Maybe somebody you've been praying for for a while now. And I just want to invite you to pray for them, to pray for whatever needs going on in their life, but also just to pray for their faith in God, that he might draw close to them in this season, that they might know him more fully. Why don't you do that now? Lastly, I just want to invite you to spend a few minutes connecting with the Father. I know for some of you, maybe you were like me and you realized that hasn't been on my radar. And maybe it's just to confess and say, God, I haven't spent time connecting with you. Lord, would you show me how to do that? God, would you meet me as I do that? Help me to open up my heart to you. Why don't you just spend a few minutes talking to him and connecting with him in the stillness of this room? Well, Father, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that because of him, we're able to connect with you, that he showed us the way to have a relationship with you. God, and we just lift everything up in his mighty name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Welcome to Postscript. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at FaithBridge by talking with the teacher of the day. Welcome to Postscript. I'm Luann Riley, the Grow Group and Discipleship Director, and I'm here with Michael Sullivan, who just brought part two of Prayer Life, and we looked at why pray. Welcome, Sully. Thanks. Yeah, it's great to hear from you again today. And we had several questions come in around why pray. Um, We looked at just the author of our faith, Jesus, and Mm -hmm. how he prayed and how we can model that example mm-hmm. as why pray. And we had some questions come around just really the mechanics around praying mm-hmm. and things that people struggle with. I think that we can all relate to. Mm-hmm. And the first question came around, um, how do I quiet the chatter inside my head when I go to that lonely place or that quiet place and yep. I'm trying to pray? Um, and by the chatter, and you and I probably know exactly what this questioner is asking, the today's 
to-do mm -hmm. list, the things that are swirling in your head when you're trying yeah. to focus, the yeah. worries of the day. Yeah, I think that's why I said pick a lonely place in the first place because you have to get somewhere that's away from the distractions mm -hmm. first. So the craziness of the kids and the craziness of work, but then you're right, then you get to that place you find that quiet place and then now it comes in your thoughts and your cell phone is vibrating and so you got to silence that. To silence the, the voices in your head, the things that keep popping up, something that I like to do is just keep a sheet of paper or a journal or something nearby uh, and actually a lot of us on staff do this, I know you do it as mm -hmm. well, and just before I start, I say, okay, God, I want to clear my head. Help me to do that right now. Help me to unpack whatever it is that's in my mind right here on this sheet of paper. And so I'll just begin to make, oh, yep, I need to pick up the laundry today. I need to wash the car. Oh, I've got that meeting at three o'clock and I haven't prepared for it. Okay, I'm gonna write these things down, the things that are coming to my mind. And then I keep doing that. I wanna stay distraction free. And so I ask the Lord, help me. But sometimes things pop up. And so I just keep writing those down and then I know I'll come back to him after it but I'm just getting getting those out there. So I, I think that helps me a lot in just getting to that distraction-free place. Um, I think another thing that can help me is either writing out my prayers mm -hmm. or praying them out loud. Um, I, I know that you and I both share this as well. I, I like to sit at a computer, and I know that's kind of weird, but just type out my prayers because my thoughts are more streamlined when I do that. And I'm a writer. Yes. I have pages and pages. Yeah, and pages, so you, yeah. you write it out by hand. My handwriting's too ugly that I'm not even <laughs> sure God would understand it. No, I'm just kidding. He would. But you know what I'm saying is, is just to, to get there and, and write it down, uh, pray it out loud so that your mind is focused on what you're doing. I feel like when I pray in my head, uh, you know, I'm like, oh, that other thing keeps coming in. So mm -hmm. I think that's what I would suggest for that person. Good. Those are all, all good um, different ways. I think the key is just finding what works for you, finding yep. that spot, finding mm -hmm. that time in your schedule, yep. whether it's your car or it's early in the morning mm -hmm. or at night, depending on what rhythm works for you yeah. and um, figuring out what that, what that time and that yeah. space is. And that's a good point. And also know that that may change <laughs> mm -hmm. in different seasons Seasons. of your life. You know, it mentioned in the scripture today that G it said he went out on a mountain, he went to a certain place, a lonely place. You know, there's all this mentioning of these different places. And I think it's because there's different seasons of our life where places mm -hmm. work better. I, I'm reminded for me personally, uh, when I was our young adults pastor, I used to go to my office, close the door, and that was a real lonely place. Uh, I didn't have many papers out on the desk. I, you know, I just was there and able to focus. But now as I've changed roles in this new season of my life, I've found that when I come into the office, there might be a piece of paper that reminds me of, oh, I need to do that, or a diagram up on the whiteboard that distracts me. And so I've had to move that lonely place. For me, uh, the car is a great one. As I'm just driving around, just kind of talking to the Lord, I can talk out loud. Uh, Bluetooth technology has been great to help me not look like a freak out on the road because people do this. Um, but, you know, I'll just talk to the Lord and, and drive around. And that's a really clear place for me. Um, the office at my house, another good one. I try not to put work in there. And so, yeah, I think in different seasons of your life, that changes. That's good. Okay, so, so the next question that came in um, is this. If you struggle with your um, prayer life being too formal with God okay. and you want it to become more relaxed or relational, mm. what are ways that you can grow in that? Hmm. Well, I think that does kind of go back to the talk it out loud. God is our Father. I mean, mm. um, and He's a friend. And I think the reason that over and over we're given those examples is because those are things that are tangible for us to connect with. Um, how would I talk to my father? How would I talk to my wife, Jill, or a good friend? I'm honest. Um, you know, I just, I talk to them. I let them know it's unfiltered. It's not like I posture myself in a, a formal way. I do think what's challenging is, you know, when we grow up in the church or, or maybe even as kids, you learn to recite a prayer this way or, you know, you hear it over and over. And I do think there's benefit in that. You know, uh, the Catholic Church recites a lot of prayers. And if you go look at those prayers full of deep truth, just great things to reflect on. Uh, but when you do do it over and over and over again, it just kind of becomes a routine. And so mm -hmm. I think 
it's good to have variety. Um, you see that in the Psalms. I think David is a great example for us of how to pray. You go read the Psalms, the content, some of it's the same. God, help me, help me, rescue me. But it's different. He says different things. God, you're a shelter. God, you're a provision. He, he mentions things in different ways. Um, and I think that's important is pray it out loud. Go use the Psalms as an example of what did it look like when David prayed? He was unfiltered. He was unashamed. And uh, I think that's a good example for us to use in, in a way to try and push past that formality and just to know it's not a formula. And uh, the good news is I think Ken's going to teach us next week on how to pray. I think good. that'll be really helpful for us. Good. Awesome. Looking forward to that one, too. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this person said that their prayer usually tends towards praise. Okay. And um, they feel they're perceived as weak if they mm -hmm. continue to constantly pray for help and guidance. Hmm. So help them try to balance that out. Well, first off, I think that is a great place to start is praise, adoration. Uh, mainly, for me, I like to start with that because it gets my mind focused on who is it that I'm talking to. Because as Ken mentioned last week, the who is very important. It's our Father, uh, and not only that, our Creator and our Maker, and to know this is the God of the universe, and I have access to Him. It's absolutely key to know, God, thank you for all that you've done for me, to put ourselves in that mindset. But it's not a bad thing for us to come with requests. We, we see Jesus did that. Uh, and I know I mentioned this is the only time that we saw that in the scriptures. And I don't think that's because Jesus didn't do it other times. I think it's because, again, the scripture really wanted us to learn from this example of not my will, but yours be done. Uh, and so, uh, again, I mentioned earlier the Psalms. Great place to go. David, who was he? A mighty warrior. I mean, the guy took down lions and bears with his hands. He took a slingshot and took down Goliath. He was a beast. I mean, he was a mighty warrior. But when you look at the Psalms, over and over and over again, he's asking, he's crying out to God. He's saying, God, help me, uh, deliver me. He's unashamedly presenting requests. And so I think if you go again, look at the Psalms, look how David prayed. He starts prayers just praising God, speaking truth to God. And then he does. He moves and he says, God, but help me, deliver me from this circumstance. And so I think if we're looking for a good example, he's perfect. He was a mighty man uh, and he did both. He both praised God and he brought his request. So I think that would be a good place to start. Awesome. Well, certainly a great message on why to pray and looking forward to moving into the more how to pray mm -hmm. next week. So yeah. thank you for the message. And thanks for all the updates we got today as well. Thank you for joining us here for Postscript. We'll see you back here next week. Thanks for joining us for Postscript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org postscript.